Thank you for downloading this sermon from Grace Presbyterian Church. Grace is a church where people seeking more grace, more depth, and more community can start finding their way and sharing their gifts with the world. You can follow us online at graceforsufalls.org. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of life? Why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. Tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Father, as we hear these words, we pray that you would quicken our hearts and open our ears so that we might receive them. We ask that you might liberate us from our bondage to fear and anxiety. You might give us rest in your presence. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Everything Jesus says is a challenge. Everything Jesus says makes us a little bit uncomfortable, at the very least. But for me personally, these words about anxiety are some of the most challenging that we've come across. I often joke that sarcasm and anxiety are my two spiritual gifts. And <laughs> like Jesus is taking one of them from me. Uh, I feel as if I'm fueled in large part by my anxiety. And maybe some of you can relate to that. There's a simple test to know whether you're one of those anxious people or not. You just take the words of Jesus. He says, do not be anxious. And imagine when people tell you that, hey, you don't need to worry. When you hear that, does that make you relax? Or does that make you anxious? If it makes you relax, that's great. You can just relax through this sermon and pray for the rest of us. Because a lot of us, when we hear, you don't need to worry, that's when we start worrying. That's when our anxieties are ramped up. So Jesus tells us, don't be anxious. Or to put it another way, stop serving fear. Before we go any further, though, we need to dig in and understand what it is he's actually talking about, what Jesus means by anxiety, because that's a word we use a lot, and we need to be precise so we understand what he's addressing. We talk about anxiety, the high levels of anxiety in our day and age, the skyrocketing levels of crippling anxiety, especially among young people today. You read about this constantly, and a lot of us are anxious. 
about all of this anxiety that we see around us? Is that what Jesus is talking about? That's the question to keep in mind. So the word that's translated here, anxious, is a Greek word. I'm going to slaughter the pronunciation, but it's arimnio, which means something like uh, to be worried or to be concerned, to be preoccupied with circumstances. That's the kind of anxiety he's talking about, a sort of preoccupation, a fearful preoccupation. But it doesn't have to be fearful. The preoccupation part, the focus, is the key. If we take a look at the way this word is used elsewhere, Paul uses it several times in his epistles, and I think it'll be helpful to see how he does this. If you look in the book of Philippians, in chapter 2, verse 20, he uses this same word, merimneo, but he uses it positively. He says, for I have no one like him, like Timothy, who will be genuinely merimneo, or concerned for your welfare. Someone who will be preoccupied or focused on your welfare. There's no one but Timothy who's like that. He adds a telling phrase immediately after this in verse 21. He says, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. So you can be merimneo, you can be preoccupied or focused on the interests of Christ, or you can be preoccupied or focused on your own interests as well. There's a conflict between those two things, to care for your own interests or to care for those of Christ. If you look in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, in verse 32, when Paul extols the state of singleness, when he explains why it can be a good thing not to be married, he says that one who is married is meremna about the things of the world, is concerned with the things of the world, preoccupied, anxious about the things of the world, not the things of God. In Philippians 4.6, which is essentially restating what we see Jesus teaching here, Paul says, do not be meremnate. He uses exactly the same form that Jesus uses about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. So if you take all of that together, you can see that Jesus is telling us, don't be anxious about your life's circumstances. Don't be fearful and preoccupied about how your needs are going to be met. Don't be consumed with fear over whether or not your needs will be met. Jesus isn't saying, don't take your anti-anxiety medicine, just have more faith. He's not saying that the solution to all anxiety is just to have a little more faith. There are physical as well as mental causes of mental health, and if you address physical causes and that alleviates suffering, that's a good thing, and it's not in conflict with what Jesus is saying here. In the same way that if I came across you lying in the road, bleeding from a wound, my encouragement wouldn't be, have more faith, it would be, let's stop that bleeding. If you're struggling with clinical anxiety, there can be a, a, a role for medicine to help. That's not what Jesus is talking about. Jesus isn't talking about a, a, a physical condition or ailment. He's talking about the general condition of human beings. He's talking about not anxiety that you cannot get around, that you cannot help. He's talking about the anxiety that, that actually isn't justified if you would just stop and think. The anxiety, in other words, that most of us live with constantly. 
most of us serve fear. Most of us live our lives and sacrifice in order to satisfy or placate our anxieties. And that's what Jesus is telling us not to do, how not to live. Take a moment, I want you to think about the logic of fear. Think about why it is that we are anxious. Why it is in particular that that a Christian might be anxious about this life. We just saw in our last sermon Jesus saying, don't serve money. You can't serve God and money. And if you heard that sermon and you made a resolution from now on, I'm going to be less concerned about money. I'm going to serve God instead. Maybe after you thought that, you began to wonder, but wait a second, how are we going to eat? If I'm not concerned about money anymore, if I'm just serving God, um, how are we going to pay the bills? What are we going to wear? How are our, our basic needs going to be met? You can understand why you might be thinking along those lines, having a little bit of anxiety. Because if I'm serving God, God cares about the big stuff. God cares about the spiritual stuff. God is in heaven looking down with with the big picture, the God's eye view. If there's anybody who doesn't sweat the small stuff, it's God. Well, he certainly can't be bothered with the basic necessities of life. He's spiritual, but I'm physical, and I have physical needs that are going to need to be met as well. Because God doesn't worry about that stuff. I have to worry about it. You can see the way that that goes. You think God is up there. God is concerned about our spiritual condition, not our physical. And that leaves it to us to do something about that. So it makes sense, this fear, this anxiety. But when you consider the effects of fear, the effects of of living according to your anxiety, you start to realize something. Fear demands all of your attention. If you accept the logic of fear that we just talked about, fear becomes all-consuming. If there's something you need to be worried about, you're going to worry about it more and more until you're not really worried about anything else. If it's up to you to meet those physical needs, then meeting those needs is all you're going to be able to think of, and you'll have less and less time for spiritual things. Fear says to us something like this. Let the kingdom of God have what's left over. Once you've met your physical needs, then you'll have time to focus on spiritual things. And fear tells you you'll have plenty of time. Once you just get your life squared away, once you're not worried, once you're not living paycheck to paycheck, then imagine the spiritual growth that you'll have time for. So fear says. But you never really finish with those worries. They just grow more and more. When one need is satisfied, new needs emerge until finally you realize you've lived a life in which you never had time for the things that you believe really mattered. That fear has taken everything. Now fear, when it speaks to you, it calls itself common sense. It tells you it's only counseling you according to the way everybody lives. I mean, of course you have needs and you have to take care of them. Of course you have to look out for yourself. Everybody's doing that. You'd be a fool not to. Not only is that common sense, but fear says it's piety 
as well. God gave you gifts. He gave you opportunities so that you could meet your needs and you need to focus on meeting them. That's just good stewardship. But the end result is that fear demands everything and fear changes nothing. Fear consumes everything, but it fixes nothing. If you live preoccupied with your own needs, you will never stop needing. You will never be satisfied. You will never find the thing that you were looking for. So Jesus says, don't live this way. Don't serve fear this way. In fact, be free of that fear. And to free us from the fear, he dismantles it question by question. He, he reasons with us. He asks us to, to think about why we live the way that we do. So how does Jesus destroy the logic of fear? Well, he says to us, first of all, do not be anxious because there are more important things in life. This is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. He calls us to remember that there are better things than that, that there are more important things than that, that we value more than that. Fear has a tendency to make us smaller. It, it narrows our concerns until the things that, that actually are immaterial seem like the most important things to us. Jesus reminds us that there is a larger reality, that fear is just distorting our sense of perspective, and that there are things that matter more than food. There are things that matter more than clothes. As important as those things are, there are greater things that if you attain them, you would laugh at the thought that once you chased after such small things. Set your mind on things above, Paul writes, not on earthly things. Set your mind on things above. There is a great spiritual world. It's not all that God is concerned about, but it is what God is concerned about, and he calls us to share in that concern and that glory, to lift our eyes above the everyday and to actually value and care for the eternal things. That's one argument that Jesus uses, but it's not the only one. He also says this, do not be anxious because God cares for you more than you realize. He points out all of these insignificant examples in the animal kingdom and the, the flowers of the field. Does God take care of those things? And are you not of more value than they? We're wrong when we tell ourselves that our concerns are beneath God's notice. When you imagine that there are parts of your life that really matter to God and other stuff that's insignificant to him, that's exactly wrong. Because God's example in his creation is that he cares about stuff down to the molecular level, smaller than the molecular level. There's nowhere you can go, either like out into the stars or down into the nature of stuff and the microscopic where God isn't present and concerned. He made it all. He delights in it all. God cares about the direction of history, and he cares about what you're having for lunch today. All of those things are important to him. He cares about the great struggles that are taking place in the world around us, war and famine, but he also cares about your needs as well. He takes those things seriously. More than that, he cares more for them than you do. You think because you're fearful and anxious about them that you care more than anyone else does. 
about what happens, but God cares more than you do. He just keeps things in perspective. We think God doesn't notice our physical needs. Where did those needs come from? Who gave us a body in the first place? God made us in this state of dependence. He knows that we need the things that we need, and he intends for us to have what we need. If he cares for his less significant creatures, don't you think he cares for those he made in his image? Jesus goes further, though. If those arguments aren't enough for you, Jesus says, do not be anxious because anxiety doesn't fix anything. Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? In other words, you can be fearful, but you're wasting your time. All of the time that is consumed by anxiety literally accomplishes nothing. Nobody can worry their way into prosperity. Nobody can be anxious enough in order to be fed. No amount of worry that you expend will actually make any difference at all. Things don't change because you worry about them more. Give it up. It's futile. Living in fear is futile. I already quoted Paul talking about the obstacles of being married because you're preoccupied with the things of this world. But marriage can also teach you some important lessons, and marriage has taught me some important lessons for sure. It does make you more focused on earthly things, but it does also teach you good lessons about anxiety. One of the things I've learned about anxiety is that Lori and I can't both be anxious at the same time. Otherwise, we'll just freak out. So it's important for us to have a seesaw of anxiety so that when one of us sort of pivots towards high anxiety, the other one pivots towards cool rationality. And it works both ways. It's not that one of us is rational and the other one is fearful. We sort of trade depending on the circumstances. So if things are going really bad for me and I'm freaking out and it's the end of the world, Lori grows like really calm and, and a little bit mocking in her attitude towards my fears and, and anchors me in a way. And it works the other way as well. When she's really anxious, I can kind of come in and, and with my... I don't know, charm and intelligence, turn it around and, and, and keep things on the uh, straight and narrow. You get the idea. Sometimes it's possible to, tr to, let's say, to hand off a burden of worry. It works the other way as well, as I mentioned before. I get really anxious and nervous when other people are not anxious enough. Like if, if we're working on something together and there's a lot that needs to happen for this to work, and you seem to not be stressed out over it, that makes me anxious. If you seem really anxious about whether or not it's going to work, I feel more relaxed. It's like, if you worry about it, I don't have to. But if you're not worried about it, I'm going to worry. You've all had experiences like that before. What Jesus is kind of saying to us is that's how this works with God as well. The seesaw of anxiety needs to tip in the direction of God. You don't need to be consumed by fear and anxiety because God is concerned about the things that matter. Because God is concerned about the things that concern you as well. There's nothing that you care about that's not on his radar. And if that's true, then you don't need to worry about it. No worry of yours can make any difference. But when God cares about something, it makes all the difference in the world. That should come to us as a relief, as a comfort that you can set aside 
that burden. The reality that Jesus points to is this, that God is not only a creator, but he is a caring creator. He cares about what he's made. He cares about doing good to the things that he has made and the people that he has made. He is a God who provides and delights in providing. And that reality is a liberating fact. If you begin to see God that way, a God who didn't just make you and abandon you to find your own way, but a God who made you and loves you, who saves you and watches over you and intends good for you and will provide for you, then you can be free from fear. And to free you from fear means you can start using your life for the reason it was given to you. Instead of wasting it on fear, you can actually use the life that you've been given the way that God intended you to use it. Or to put it in Jesus' words, stop serving fear and start seeking the kingdom. The thing that life was given to us for, the thing we're meant to use life for, is to seek the kingdom. That's real security. As I said, fear consumes everything without solving anything. But God didn't make us to live in fear. He didn't make us to be anxious. It's interesting, though, the reason that we serve fear is because of insecurity. Last time, when we talked about money, the problem was finding your security in the wrong thing. Finding your security in the stuff instead of in the God who provides the stuff. But here, the problem is not finding security in the wrong thing. It's not finding security at all. Living in an insecure way, an anxious way, with no sense of security. So Christ here is pointing us to the path of security. Where is security found? It's found in seeking the kingdom. There's no amount of anxiety or fear that will produce peace, that will produce a sense that you are known and taken care of, that your needs will be fulfilled. But in seeking the kingdom, you receive all of those things. You chase security through anxiety. You'll never find it. But if you chase the kingdom instead, all these things will be added to you. So Jesus isn't saying you've got to choose. Either your physical needs are going to be met or you're going to seek the kingdom. Jesus says something much softer and comforting than that. He says, seek the kingdom first and all these things will be added to you. All these things that God knows you need will be given to you, but don't worry about them. Don't seek them out. Instead, chase the kingdom. Seek the kingdom and let God take care of the rest. And that's how you will find security. What does seeking the kingdom mean? What does it look like to seek the kingdom? Jesus actually answers the question in the way that he expresses it. He tells us to seek the kingdom in his righteousness. To seek the kingdom is to pursue righteousness. Maybe the pursuit of righteousness happens on the big stage. It's about justice in some big way. Maybe, though, the pursuit of righteousness is really small. Maybe we pursue righteousness in ways that nobody else sees but us. But in every case, the act of pursuing righteousness, in other words, the act of of living in a holy way, the act of striving 
to live like Christ more and more day by day. That's seeking the kingdom. And when you do that, God gives the security. What we seek when we seek the kingdom is to be like Christ. To see Christ's reign extended. To see more and more people pursuing righteousness all around us. It is as simple as that. You pursue holiness. You live like Christ. You are seeking the kingdom. And then you'll never fear again. Actually, that's not quite right. It's not that if you seek the kingdom, all your fear will go away and you'll never struggle again. You will struggle again with fear. It doesn't mean that all your fear and anxiety will go away. Jesus says, tomorrow will be anxious for itself. In other words, there's going to be some trouble tomorrow. There's going to be some stuff that you could be worried about tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow. But you know what? Let tomorrow worry about itself. Those struggles, those, those causes of anxiety will be a constant. It's not that God will take them away and you won't suddenly have any triggers for your anxiety. It's that instead you will see things differently and you will invest yourself differently. You will have fear, but you will not serve it. We said last time, Jesus wasn't saying it's wrong to have money. He said it's wrong to serve money. It's like it's good to have flesh, but it's wrong to serve the flesh. Same thing here. In life, there will be fear. You will have anxiety, but Jesus says don't serve it. Instead, seek the kingdom, and all these things will be added to you. Every day, seek the kingdom first. Put the kingdom ahead of your own concerns. Be preoccupied, like Timothy was, with the concerns of God's people, not just your own selfish concerns, even if they're good things and important things. There's always going to be trouble in this life. Jesus says in the world, you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. That's how we want to live. As people who know a Savior who has already overcome the troubles of this world so that we no longer serve them, but instead serve Him and are free from them. So here's what I'd like you to do. Take some time. Consider over the course of this day, think about, reflect, and meditate on everything that keeps you from serving the kingdom. Think about the things that prevent you from seeking the kingdom first. Think about the things that you're telling yourself you need to settle first so that you can then be focused on the things of the Spirit. Know what those things are. Be honest with yourself about what those obstacles are and then realize that none of those things that you're longing for can ever be achieved through anxiety. That nothing you think you have to get settled first can actually be settled by pursuing it that way. The stuff that you think you need before you can follow Christ, you'll never find until you follow Him. That everything that God has for you will be yours as you seek and serve Him. But none of it can be found without seeking the kingdom. And when you realize that, then resolve to pursue kingdom righteousness and trust God to give you the rest. Because when you do that, you're living the way Jesus lived, the way he lived for us. Jesus came into this world not preoccupied with his own needs, although he was aware of them. He had physical needs just like we did. He had comforts of the body that that he could appreciate just as much as we do. But he didn't serve them. 
Instead, he was focused on the will of the Father, and the will of the Father was to unite us to him through his sacrifices. And now he calls us to live the way that he lived, to focus on things above, not to be consumed with fear, and to trust him that as we follow him, he will take care of us and provide for us. So let's listen. Let's listen to the words of Jesus. Let's live as if they are true. Because they are true for all those who follow him. Thank you for listening. You can find more sermons from Grace and information about joining us for worship by visiting our website at graceforsufalls.org. We also invite you to visit the iTunes store and subscribe to the Sermons of Grace podcast.